you for listening to this message from the North Gate. Biggest piece of us that we have to get correct is our family. If it was just up to my ability to preach and communicate to people, I would go do what I was doing in 2013, 2014, 2015, and 2016. And I know the McDowell's and Bollinger's and some of the other people in the room have no idea what I was doing at that time. But you that have been with me for a long time knew what I was doing. I was traveling the whole nation. I was traveling the whole nation, seeing miracle signs and wonders, sawing people with paraplegic legs walk again, seeing tumors shrink, seeing blinded eyes open. And then now some people would say, you've lost a measure of revival. No, I'm with a company of people that we're going to get a root system that can carry fruit of rather than it just be in one church service and go on to the next one. This actually becomes a gate that people begin to pass through that will get connected to this way of life. So the understanding with this is that there's a buy-in here, okay? If you were to go to an Amish community, no matter what you try to convince them, you can't become Amish without buying into what they are, correct? No matter how much you try to convince them, no matter how much. I heard a story today from Apostle Mark Pfeiffer talking about Joe Rogan had a Jewish man on, the, uh, on his show and was talking about why doesn't the Jewish people accept homosexuality? And he said, because we're Jewish. And he said, well, who gives a bump? He said, no, you don't get it because we're Jewish. We're not going to change who we are. Are y'all tracking with me? So if we're to be the beacon light of this city... We have to stop adapting to the culture. That means in the way we raise our children. That means in the way we run our homes. And the biggest thing is, is we become enablers. Mark Piper said it like this, that if you were to trace back to every drug addict, every drug addict's crutch is literally his mother and his girlfriend. Because love them the way they are, period. No, that's not it. Love them the way they are, you'll find them dead. There has to be willing a transformation of truth to come in to say, no, we're not doing that. There has to be a no. So in the Jewish custom, across the board, Jewish says we don't accept homosexuality. Why? Not that we don't love you. You're you. We're us. We don't want to be you. So what happens is in American culture is we have found ourselves in enabling Rather than bringing change into the earth, we keep adopting the customs of the earth rather than being separate and being set apart the way we're supposed to be. So this isn't a mass correction, so don't get nervous on, that's not what this is. But what this is, is this is foundational pieces in marriages because we're still getting phone calls literally inside of family, inside of this family, the four walls of this place. I've had four married couples, some mature in the faith, some weak in the faith, sit in my office and say the word divorce. That's not what we do. No matter how bad of the situation, that's not a knock on anybody who's got a divorce. That's not a knock on if you're homosexual. We're going to love you, but we're going to love you to the point that we want to see you transformed to what we are rather than us transformed to what you are. Yes. 
That's how you bring change. How you bring change is you bring such enough truth to the situation that you stop enabling America or you stop enabling the situations to where we don't see any change or transformation. And what has happened in the American church across the board is we've lost what it means to have key relationship, key discipleship, and that's what we're here to do today. Because in 20... Um, 13 to 2016, I was traveling the nation. I was preaching. She has the ability to sing. We could go do that and make tons of money. Y'all realize that? But we're not. We're called to be a beacon light of a family, of a city here in this culture right here that impacts prophetically a 40-mile radius. And impacting a 40-mile radius, we're telling people we have a beacon light. And I'll use Lita's story as an example. One of the conversations me and her had when she first came into this family, I asked her, why did you come here? And she said, the majority of the people that I know that attend the North Gate are happy. And she said, I I have told people, I don't care what you call them. They have something that we do not have. And she she said it like this, if that happiness is from drinking the Kool-Aid, then give me as much as I need. Give me, may may I have another? May I have another? Okay. So that's, that's what this is about. That's what we have to begin to understand is there was days in the gym that there was this prophetic, um, how would I say this? This prophetic evangelism that drawed a group of people, but only a handful of you sit in the room dared to even get fathered. There was a, a, there was a move of the spirit that drawed people to get saved, come off drugs, see miracles, signs, and wonders. And God said, that's not what I'm wanting to do in the earth only. And that's what we do. We base the spirit of God. We base revival off of this one thing, and it is miracle signs, and wonders. And that's not it. If you look back from the story to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if you go through the Torah, the Torah was all about family and legacy. And we based, and this was always my favorite, greatest message, back in my days of Pentecost or Pentecostalism and personality gifted preaching, people would go, that was, my in-laws can, uh, they can attest to this. Greatest message I ever heard, but it had no impact. You saw a great gift. And we've lost true discipleship. And so that's why we did the inner healing that we did last month with men's and women's. Holy Spirit comes in and says, that's not what we're going to do. I've had four couples close to me. Some of you sitting in this room have sat in my office and said the word divorce, and that's not what we are. Somewhere you bought a lie that was perceived to be the truth that you thought the easy way out was you to separate from one that you love. Yeah, man. And if I can divorce her that I see every single day, okay? If I can divorce her, how easy is it for me to walk away from him? Man. And you're going to see how I'm going to, in this 2013 to 2016, I'm John the Baptist. I sit down with a father that could give two flips about my gift. Up till this point, every guy that I had preached for or called a mentor actually wanted to use my gift till I finally get with a father that has a gift 10 times bigger than mine. 
and says, I don't give two flips about your gift. I care about your character. And Damon looks at me and he says, it's easy for the world to look at Jimmy Lovejoy and Damon Thompson and say, you're a John the Baptist crying in the wilderness because of the gift that's on your life. He said, but there's a gift that nobody wants to talk about that's called a pastor, that you're actually a father, that I'm here to prophetically tell you you're an Ezra to your face. Wow. It's easy to take a hyper ADHD fiery guy and say, John the Baptist. It's another thing to say, father. It's another thing to say Ezra. So for the nation to shift, Big Mike comes and teaches us this. For the nation to shift, Ezra has to come in and establish the family altar and the family culture. Before what happens next? Gold standard comes in the favor of Ezra. Ezra doesn't take the gold standard and keep it to himself. He then gives it to a spiritual son in the name of Nehemiah. Nehemiah takes all the resources of the king, of the gold standard, puts it in the hands of the people, and the people begin to be so connected together in their ability to see a vision for a city and a region, they begin to build and fight for each other at the same time. I want you to think about this. So before, and I'm preaching this and teaching this like crazy, before we can interweave ourselves in Romans 8 in such a place that our futures are so predestined together, we have to make sure that our home lives and our family altars are first and foremost. Because this is where the church has got it wrong for so many years inside of gifting, inside of serving, inside of go, 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 and do, do, do. We get our affirmation from what we do inside of the ministry, what we do inside of helps, what we do inside of our community while our marriages suffer. It's hard for me to look back over my childhood and those of us that have been churched, raise your hand, those of us that have been churched for years and say, I saw happy marriages. Everybody just about rolled their eyes through the whole room. That is ridiculous. We have the joy of the Lord. Our covenant is with God, and we can't enjoy this first and foremost. So can I read some stories? We're going to take two hours tonight to talk, but I want, you to, I want you to grab some things as we build this family altar today. My parents were married for 55 years. One morning, my mom was going downstairs to make uh, dad breakfast. When she was doing that, she had a heart attack and she fell right there. My father picked her up as best as he could, almost dragging her to his truck at full speed. Without respecting traffic lights, he drove her to the hospital as fast as he absolutely could. When he arrived, unfortunately, she was no longer with us. She had gone on to be with the Lord. During the funeral, my father did not speak. His gaze was lost. He hardly even cried. That night, his children joined him in an atmosphere of pain and nostalgia. We remembered beautiful memories. And he asked my brother, who was a preacher, son, please tell me. Tell me where mom is at at this moment. My brother began to talk about life after death and the beauty of heaven and the throne of God and where she would be in that moment. My father listened very carefully as my brother described heaven and its beauty and its splendor. Suddenly he asked us, take me to the cemetery right now. We replied, dad, it's 11 o'clock at night. We can't go to the cemetery right now. He raised his voice with stern authority. 
with a glazed look and said, don't you argue with me, children. Don't you argue with a man who just lost his best friend of 55 years. With authority. His children begin to listen to him. There was a moment of respectful peace in that house. We stood there in silence and nobody even questioned our father. We went to the cemetery and we asked the night watchman for permission with a flashlight. We reached the tomb. My father stood over her grave and began to pray. As the children watched, you could hear him say, it was 55 years, you know. No one can talk about true love. They have no idea what it's like to share life with a woman. Tears streaming down his face as he began to wipe them away. She and I were together in every single crisis. I changed jobs. She was there. We packed up and sold the house as we heard the word of the Lord and we moved out of town. She was there. We shared the joy of seeing our children finish their careers and get married. We mourned their departure. As we stood side by side, we prayed together in waiting rooms as some of our friends passed on and family had gone on to be with the Lord. Through pain, we hugged each other. Every single Christmas, we looked at each other as the children laid their heads in bed and said, at Christmas, the greatest gift we could give each other is to forgive each other every single year of the mistakes that we made. Children now understand she's gone. And I'm happy. Do you know why? Because she left before me. She didn't have to go through the agony and the pain of burying me of being left alone after my departure. I will be the one to go through that. And I thank God standing at her grave with you children watching. I love your mother so much that I wouldn't have it any other way. When my father finished speaking, my brothers and sisters had tears streaming down their faces. We hugged our father as he comforted us it's okay, we can go home now. It's been a good day, children. That night, I understood what true love is. It is far from fake romance that we desire and crave. It does not have anything to do with eroticism and perversion or even sex. Rather, it's linked to relationship and union to complete one another, to care for one another, to prefer one another. Above all, true love is when two people are committed to one another. Yeah. Author unknown. Wow. Here's what we have done in America to ourselves. Some of you know what I'm about to do.
How many questions are wrong? Raise your hand. How many questions are wrong? Should have been tracking. Should have been tracking. How many are wrong? How many are wrong? Two. But here's the biggest part. Watch this. You know which one all of you were focused on? The first thing done wrong. And this is what you do in your marriage. Your marriage wasn't started off with wrong ideas. Wasn't started off with anything wrong. You fell in love. And then all of a sudden, one thing doesn't go the way you want it to go. And it doesn't matter how many things are right after that. And even when you see the second thing wrong, you go back to the first thing that was wrong. And we can never begin to celebrate what's actually right. We're trained that way. Through Adam's theology, you're trained that way. What did Adam say? You gave me this woman, God. That's what he said. You gave her to me. Rather than the cool walks in the garden and naming things together and seeing the beauty of who she was. We focus more on what's wrong than what we have going on right. Because listen, you know how easy it is to fix what's wrong? But your unforgiveness won't allow you. You'll go, and, and listen, even once, you, even once you think you've erased it, you'll go back and throw that in their face, and you'll go back and throw that in their face, and you'll go back. That's not, unfor, that's not forgiveness. The way God's forgiveness works is it's to never to be remembered again. And you want to know how it's never to be remembered again? When you celebrate the three, the five, the nine, the 10, the 11, the 12, and the 20. You have to start celebrating it. You have to start celebrating it rather than focused on everything that is wrong. You're going to have to allow perfect light and perfect love to come in and not focus on the darkness. So let's read the Bible for a second. You're going to have to begin to figure out in your house, are you an encourager or are you a discourager? And how do you figure that out? Are the people around you encouraged or are they discouraged? The people in your care. You can only control what you can control. Look at me. You can only control what you can control. And so inside of that, what you can control is, is there encouragement in your home or is there discouragement in your home? And all of that is based off of one major thing. And you know what that is? The key thing that I teach in premarital and marital counseling, and it is communication. In the beginning, God said, words create your world. Whether that is through prayer, whether that is through grace and love, do you affirm the people around you or do you discourage the people around you? So immediately, and you can ask my staff and you can ask my wife, if you are very close to me and I feel like you are discouraged, then I stop the world. You can ask these two. I stop the world from them. I stop because here's the thing, to continue in discouragement is going to make you feel like you're a disappointment, like you've missed everything that God has for you. Continuing in discouragement will leave you disappointed 
and you'll feel like you've missed everything. And we are not prisoners to time. Your future is locked inside of your daily routine. And if that is the case, if there's discouragement all around me, then I've got to put the brakes on and say there's no value of money on what we have relational. On what we have relational, there is no value of money on what we have relational. I've got to stop the world and realize, is there encouragement around me or discouragement? Which means this, am I being helpful to the dysfunction that we all want to text me and Tina about? You see it, we see it. Are you helpful or are you hurtful? Are you encouragement or discouragement? Are you helpful or are you hurtful? And all you have to do is go back and fix it. What's the first way to fix it? Communication. By doing what? Bringing bringing love and truth in. Not being an enabler to the dysfunction. Here's how we enable the the dysfunction. Well, just love them, period. Just got to love them. Just get there. They're homosexual. You just got to love them so that they just die and go to hell. They're strung out on drugs. Just got to love them. Watch. I'm using those two as big kind of things. She's mouthy. Just got to love her. He shows no affection. Just got to love them. You know what you're doing? Enabling dysfunction that will never change. Because you're scared to death to let truth in because there's a lie that you perceive to be the truth going, if I confront this and we have to deal with this, but the question is, are you dealing it like a punk with dishonor and discouragement or are you going to deal with it with honor? Everything, if you see all my arrows, everything leads back to honor. Everything leads to honor. Every bit of this. Communication, honor. Money, honor. Intimacy, honor. Order, honor. Honor, how would Jesus handle it, which produces honor? Devotion, honor. How, how do you be present? How does money work? Generosity. Does your money always have to be for you? Or does the money affect everybody? When you spend a dime, rather than see how it tickles your fancy... Do you ever think when a dollar leaves your hand, how does it affect everyone around you? First of all, when I spend a dollar, how does it affect her? When I spend a dollar, how does it affect my kids? When I spend a dollar, watch this. When I start spending money, how does it affect this church? Y'all tracking with me? That's going to change your money game right now. If you put one word to your money, honor. Honor. Intimacy. Intimacy means you have to be devoted, which means you have to be present, which means you have to be selfless. And intimacy will lead to intercourse, but intimacy isn't intercourse. And we keep complaining about intercourse when we have no intimacy. Like you're going to birth something with Jesus without being intimate with him. We sit and complain. There's no revival. There's nothing. America's because we have no intimacy with Jesus. And then you expect to have dreams with the spouse because you did have dreams when you first got married and you're wondering, why don't we dream anymore? Why? Because you lost intimacy. And you started complaining about your lack of intercourse without being devoted to one another. Nobody wants to have sex with somebody that's not being nice to them. 
But then we'll pull up scripture text. Because there is a scripture text. I'll get dangerous on some of you girls. There is a scripture text that in Corinthians it says, your body is not yours. And unless you are sick or on a fast, when homie wants it, it's in the Bible. Why do you think it's in there? Because he knew how important it was for you to recreate. And I'm not talking about making children. The same way it feels good when you go out and have a run. There's something about in the intimacy of God. And I'll, I'll get into details here in a minute. But we've got to bring some things to light. And here's what we got to understand about the exposure of light and not living in condemnation in our own marriages. In our own families. We speak John 3.16 for the world. But my world right now is here. For God so loved the world, he wants to save me and her. Then he wants to save my children. Then those that are closest to me, you mean something to me. You mean something to me. Sometimes you buy into a lie because you have things you're hiding that you think that me and Tina don't love you. But man, what we just walked through with Josh and Victoria, we just proved to everybody how much we love you guys and would do that for any of your families, for any of you, okay? So let's read this. John 3, 16, that we all know is for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life, correct? Yeah. Now we're gonna read Passion Translation, verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to, con- to judge it and condemn it, but to be its savior and rescue it. This is where I've been stopping for months, Right? God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it, but through him, he wanted the world to be saved, correct? This is where apostles been, all of us has been. Well, we should read 18 to 21 now. Watch this. So now there is no longer any condemnation for those who believe in Jesus. But the unbeliever, but the unbeliever, but the unbeliever, which means you have no belief system, already lives under condemnation. So immediately when you receive condemnation that I'm not good enough, You already said he's not good enough. That's what you said. And what you're going to, getting you to believe that Jesus is good enough is getting you back to intimacy of get alone with God. Shut your world down. You're discouraged. You're discouraged. You're disappointed. So the key thing is to get back into intimacy with Jesus the same way as if I am discouraged or disappointed with my marriage. If disappointment comes into my home, the key thing I need to do is stop everything. Sports don't exist at this point. Sorry, nobody's kidding here is going pro. So quit thinking, oh my God, if they miss this practice and don't start the next game, stop. Somebody, have you seen the marriages out there in the world? Have you seen them? Have you seen them? Lita Lita works in the beauty shop, so she hears what's going on in this city. Somebody's got to be a beacon light. Listen, people can call Jimmy Lovejoy whatever they want to call them, but you know what they can't call me as a bad husband. You call me whatever the heck you want to call me. You You don't like how loud I am, how whatever, but one thing you cannot say, every time you see us together, you see us having fun, you see us engaging in the eyes, we're always together, we're best friends. I've had people in this city go, I don't know about your church. I don't, listen, man, you're, you're a weird, different dude. But the one thing that sticks out the most is this. 
And we had to go through some things to get here. And I'm trying to give you keys, man. That the biggest thing is, is when I started shutting my, remember those messages, 2016, 2017, I'm screaming to all, we tried to even do the 22 minutes, remember that? 22 minutes of silence. If some of y'all would have done that, you probably wouldn't be in the place you're in right now. Because you'd learn to stop. stop. Just stop. What do you say to your kids when they're about to kill each other and they're about to drive you up the wall? Will you just stop? Just, just everybody in the house. They'll learn that when you do it. You do it first. Give them an example. Give them something to do. So our kids see it when we shut down the world here. We don't escalate the fight, watch, that it lasts two days, three days, a week, two weeks, a month. Some of y'all in the room going, yeah, right. Who's seen marriages that have done that? Raise your hand. Not God's intent. Not God's intent when he created a husband and a wife. He intended for you to have joy, not condemnation. How many husbands and wives, even in this room, are wearing a mask, but deep down inside, you don't feel like you're good enough as a friend. You don't feel like you're good enough as a provider. You don't feel like you're good enough in the bedroom. You don't feel like you're good enough as a father. You don't feel like you're good enough as a mother. We have got to pull the root system up in this house because this is not Yahweh's intent for you whatsoever. This is what his intent is for you to have. Not be in condemnation where you are not good enough for those who believe in him. But an unbeliever already lives under condemnation because they do not believe in the name of the only son of God. And here is the basis for their judgment. The light of God has now come into the world. But the people, so the truth, this is how I'm going to change this on you. The truth has now come into the world, but the people have fell. Watch this. Love just doesn't make sense, does it? Love doesn't make sense. Love and darkness doesn't make sense to you, does it? Like, so if I tell you you love darkness in your marriage, you're going to look at me and go, sorry, dude, don't believe that. Let me break. You've become patient and kind to darkness. That just flipped it. Because what is love? So this is what the Church of America at large has done. Premarital sex, we've become patient and kind to it. Homosexuality, patient and kind to it. Not submitting to your husband, become patient and kind to it. Not loving your wife the way Christ loved the church, you become patient and kind to it. Being disrespectful, dishonest, late, unloyal, all these characteristics that we keep building, wasting our money, all the foolish gains, drunkenness, we become patient and kind to the dysfunction in our homes. Now that makes sense when I say we've actually fell in love with it. I'm not in love with it. I'm not telling you you're in love with it. I'm just telling you the sin that's in your house, you become patient and kind to it. And that's where we get to this. Just love them. Just love them. Just become patient and kind to it. Just, 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 no, man. Let the light of truth come in. What's the light of truth? Here's the light of truth. If she is a sarcastic, nagging, if I 
come and talk about how many times she's been nagging and threw it up my, do you remember this time back when you ran your mouth, blah, 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 blah. Look, instead of me going back to plus one, zero equals zero, the next time she's out of alignment, sit her down in a calming posture and say, watch this. You okay? Guess what I didn't do? Bring up her dysfunction. Yahweh in the garden. Adam, where are you? Already knew they sinned. Did you eat that apple, boy? Did you eat that apple? That's what we do in our marriages. Did you eat that apple? 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 Guess what you get? Attitude, boys. You get attitude. But if you sit her down, say, hey, what's going on? You're not acting like yourself. What do you mean? Well, you're getting snippy. That's not how we want to. First of all, when we sit down in this kind of posture, what did I do? I just stopped the world. I got devoted to her. I'm making a big deal out of her. She means the world to me. Now watch. You can even ask this. Hey, is there anything we can pray about right now? If she says no, leave it alone. Look at me. Leave it alone. Because I can't find the scripture text when God saw the leaves on Adam and Eve where he said, get those off. Get those off. Our religious duty would have done that. Get them off. Get them off. It's not what he did. He gave them the light of truth. Hey, your decision is going to make you, Adam, work for the sweat of your brow the rest of your life. But there's redemption coming. There was the light of truth that came. But in the light of truth, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow for what you've done, son. That's the truth. The truth. If I smoke cigarettes the rest of my life, what's the light of truth? You're, you're going to have cancer. But the redemption is, is on the cross, he dealt with all the cancer. So what we do inside of our narcissistic Christianity is we stay indulged in our patience and kindness of what we know God is trying to break us away from. And then when the curse comes, the redemption can come too. You know, they ain't got quiet on me. You got quiet on me. There's con- what am I saying? I'm, there's consequences for what you do in life. We're not hearing a beloved identity message where it's just like, go do whatever the heck you want to do. That's not the message that Damon is preaching. He wants you to know that you're so loved by God that you don't have to be sarcastic. You don't have to be abusive to your wife. You don't have to scream and yell at each other. You actually can prefer each other. You can actually walk in all of this. If you have one engagement in your heart, handle everything with love, handle everything with honor, and start looking at this thing like how would... The breakthrough with the men and the women. What did I do? I started talking to all of you how Jesus would talk to you. Women, you actually stood up, looked at Jen Thompson, confessed your fears, confessed your mistakes, and I made Jen play the role of Jesus. What would Jesus say? We've got to start letting Holy Spirit govern our homes on how... We approach stuff because it will bring truth. And what we can't do is the word enabling. 
Stop living. And I can say this in here. Stop living in sin. What is sin? Out of cadence. With the pace that the one who loves you wants to guide you in. Stop walking out of cadence with peace. Stop walking out of cadence with joy. Stop walking out of cadence with hope. Does this make sense? Y'all tracking with me? So this makes John 3.16 way different because I need light to come in. And I need to quit being patient and kind to the dysfunction in my world. I actually need to expose it. Okay? Because they want the darkness to conceal their evil. Watch. They don't want light because they want darkness. And this is where people retract. Why are you retracting? Because you're being patient and kind to a lifestyle that you really don't want to live in. You're being, it's going to change. 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 It's not going to change if you don't put an end to something. That's why I've been sending you guys stuff out like, you can't have a new beginning without an ending. Look at me. You can't have a new beginning without putting an end to some things. You're going to have to, in good faith and good hope and good heart, and watch this. Here's the word nobody likes. And in good discipline. In good discipline. In good discipline. Why do I not act like a fool? Because the Lord saved me, brother, by God, and Jesus is with me all the time. Hallelujah, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. No, man. That's not just it. It's the discipline to hold a door open. It's the discipline to say thank you. It's the dis- You discipline your children with honor. Not with rage. With honor and love. Do things out of a discipline of love. For who first? Your spouse, yourself, and those around you. Is this all making sense? So the wicked hate the light. The wicked hate the truth. And they try to hide from it. But the light fully exposes their lives. But those who love the truth will come into the light. For the light will reveal that it was God who produced their fruitful works. All right? Amen. Hallelujah. Now, what I want us to begin to understand is relationship is key. How we operate in relationships is everything. Okay? The Bible tells us clearly in Ephesians how to operate inside of relationships, inside of our homes, inside of our marriages. So you can just look up at the screen. We're going to go right to Ephesians 5. I do this. If anybody's been in any kind of premarital counseling with me, um, this I, I read it just like this. I don't rush into. Watch how I'm about to do this. I don't rush into, wives, submit yourself to your husbands because I think that's foolish. And here's what I love about Brian Simmons. Brian Simmons didn't write submission at all. Brian Simmons write, wrote devoted to. So I know you got a little piece on the submission devoted thing that we were talking about early today. I just told him that that word submission um, implies like you becoming a yes man almost. But when you change it to devoted, it's actually in, it's an act of worship towards another. It's actually a bowing down of your preference to theirs. That's what being devoted to. That's what actually the picture of submission is, of bowing down to 
in worship and being devoted to. Okay. So in this, Ephesians 5, chapter, or verses, chapter 5, verses 15 to 16 is where we're going to start. So be very careful how you live. I preached on this here recently. Be very careful how, this does not mean be cautious, just be careful. Do you understand the difference? Like, let me give an example here. This is magnetic. Okay. So in this, I could walk around extremely cautious, which means I'm being fearful. Like, oh my gosh, I don't want to break this. I don't want to screw up. I don't want to mess up. Or I just realize this could break easy and I'm going to be careful with it. Watch. Most of the time, when you're being cautious and fearful, that's when you actually break things. But when you understand the value of something and you're being careful, you won't put it in a predicament where it can get broke. See the difference? See the difference? So now if I'm being fearful, I'm not paying attention to this at all. I'm paying attention to all of you because you might break this. And this is what we start doing inside of our marriages where we can actually get help and get support. We actually start living in fear that somebody might know that we're broken because it's fragile. And we start being real careful around everybody and care. Don't want anybody to know our business and don't want anybody. But the Bible says confess your faults one to another. So what we do is we live in caution rather than just being careful and understanding the value of what you actually have. Does that make sense? All right. So be careful how you live. I'm asking you, are you in a buy-in to what we do as a lifestyle? Does devotion, honor, and order actually mean something to you? Or are you still trying to figure out in a revival culture that consecration inside of liberty doesn't have to exist for you? And as soon as we said the word liberty, because we're no more in condemnation, you figured that I could drink as much as I want. I could listen to as much dumb music as I want. I can, you figured out how to go live an old lifestyle rather than realize that when the announcement of beloved identity comes and it's not going to come once, it's going to come again and again and again and again. Because if I only tell her she's beautiful and tell her I love her one time a year, it's not going to go over so well. But the more that I tell her that I love her and she tells me that she loves me, and we speak honor in the communication back and forth to one another. What you guys want to fix and change inside of prayer before you go to bed actually would fix if you'd realize everything you say is prayer. Y'all forgot that, didn't you? From the gym. That in Jewish custom, they're so cautious about what comes out of their mouth because it's life and death in the tongue that literally they believe everything they say is a decree and a prayer. So what you want religiously to fix before you go to bed, you've actually already ruined from when you woke up till you got to your bedtime. That's what needs to change. And we're not careful how we live, so we get stuck over here. Tina, you got to track where I'm at now. And, and our prayer then becomes for our spouse in communication. Our prayer says, if you just change them. When the actual answer for what you're going to do in your marriage is, God, will you change me? It says, be careful how you live, not watch how they live. 
Be careful how you live. You've got to begin to measure something inside of you before you start scorecarding your spouse. And what we've learned inside of Beloved Identity is we've thrown the scorecard away for ourselves. And Mama Tina nailed it prophetically, but you're keeping one on your spouse. You're still going back to their, they missed one plus zero. They missed this simple thing about me. And you're actually holding unforgiveness and you're becoming bitter by every day. That's why you hate the way they eat now. You hate the way they wear their clothes. You get, listen, we have been there. This is like, there was one point in time when we were in Cincinnati I was so gung-ho about ministry, did not know she was looking into divorce lawyers because everything I did, she hated about me and hated the church that was paying me. And it all goes back to communication and it all goes back to the one thing that everybody in this room needs to understand, and I'm gonna let her hit on this as soon as I say it. What happens if God does change them and you still won't focus on changing you? Yeah, that's what we wrote up there, and I know it's small. It was just for us to remember, but there's a lot of, I'm going to speak just on behalf of the wives because I'm the one who gets those messages. There's a lot of wives that tell me, like, I've been praying for the Lord to change this about them and change this about them and change this about them, but then do you provide an environment conducive to that change? So if everything you prayed about changed in them tomorrow, are you and your house able to hold the change that you've been asking for? So we have to turn, change them, change them, change them to Lord, change me. And what do I need to change about my environment? And in that, we can't pray that God change somebody. We have to pray that he give grace for them to change. Because there's nothing we do that's without grace. Apostle has been hammering this last couple of weeks. Every move that we make in the kingdom of God is by grace alone, not by our works. That's how we take striving out. So we don't pray like, God, change his attitude, change his attitude. No, God, give me grace, give me patience, and Father, grant him the grace to deal with what's going on in our world. That changes the whole script from us being angry towards our husband and holding a scorecard up to I'm in the process, I know he's in the process, so God, give us grace. That's what takes you back into communication, which is the first lesson I teach in any marriage counseling. Your number one issue is you can't communicate. And so when there is no grace and truth, which will equal love in your communication towards your spouse, is there grace and truth in your communication? Which means this, if you don't have grace and truth, it means you're never going to screw it up. And then the one who knew no sin, who became sin, so I could become the righteousness in Christ Jesus, has grace and truth and light for us. How much more should we have? And this is not, well, just love them. No, this is grace and truth. Tell them the truth. Tell them if they're rude. Tell them if they treat people bad. One of the biggest turns in in my world for leading people, and we still do this today, especially when I'm coaching, I give her permission. She knows me better than anybody. Ah, You were a little bit edgy today. You were a little bit edgy today. Can somebody tell you that? Can somebody tell you you're a mama bear? Can somebody tell you you're a nag? Can somebody tell you you're sarcastic? Let me say that there is a proper way to do that. Yes. (laughs) He does not come home from football and still have coach's hat on and start like 
barking orders around the house and then I'm just like, hey, you're being a jerk. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's not the way to do it. No, it's the same way I sat down with you. Yeah. You stop discouragement and encouragement. If you feel negativity in your house, you've got to take a vulnerable, humble, the first thing is how do you approach it? You okay? So if she sees me coaching rough, guess what her first thing is? Man, you're a real a-hole to the team today. That's not what she does. Are you okay? You're not being yourself. You're not being who I've seen you in the glory. That's the re- Identify them correctly first. Instead of identifying misbehavior or what you don't like, what did God do in, in grace with Adam? Adam, hey, where were you? you? You were late. I showed up for the walk. You okay? And then Adam starts vomiting his stuff. And God's like, who, who told you you were naked? Like, why, why do you have fig leaves on? Like, it's still, what's going on? What, what's going on? You're not being you. What's going on? When you continue to see one another in a dysfunctional role, when you continue to see your children in a dysfunctional role, people you love, and I approach these guys. Hey, you okay? What's going on? What's going on? You've gotten the phone call from me. Hey, what's going on? You got five minutes? Usually if you hear you got the five minutes, it's like, oh, man. But, But guess what? Nobody here gets beat with, over the head with a hammer anymore. Nobody gets beat over the head with a hammer. Nobody gets told they're trash. I know you're better than that. I know you're better than that. So let's figure out what's going on. And let's pull that out. And what we cannot do in our marriages is God changed them. If God would just change him, if God would just change him, the worst thing for me to hear in any kind of marriage counseling is, and I do this, I give them, I'm letting you in on some of this. What's going on? Him, her. Yep, and you're not going to change a thing. Because the first thing is, what's, what's God doing in you? What's Holy Spirit doing in you? There's not been one marriage incident ever on the planet. Never. There was 100% one person. And the other didn't play a role in it. Can I tell you, if you are operating in true covenant with your spouse, you are one anyway. So never is it one person's fault anyway. Even if 99% everything going wrong, you can point to is them. You are still the other 1% to the 100% that is the two of you that are one. So how does real marriage actually work? Well, here's the thing. He who knew no sin became my sin. That's how marriage really works. If she's really off, then I'm here to cover her in front of all of you. I'm to love her enough. Watch this. Watch Jesus in this. I love her. She's wrong. I'm going to cover her in front of all of you. And then I love her so much, I'm going to take her to the Father. And y'all are scared of spiritual authority. It's actually the heavenly realm. She's off. I'm going to cover her and actually side with her. Mm-hmm. But then I'm going to make sure that I have an advocate that she gets to the Father. That's how Jesus did it for us in a 
spiritual realm for our spirit, soul, and body. And then God gives us inside of government that as my husband, I'm going to cover her and I'm going to get her to Apostle D and Mama Tammy as soon as possible if something I can't resolve in my own power. And then her loving me is she can actually cover me. And some of y'all want to throw the other one under the bus and say, if you fix them. Wow. Well, if you realize you're actually both one. The Bible tells us clearly that you, you leave mom and dad to become one. To become one. Does this make sense? So watch this. There's a buy-in. There's a buy-in to this. To be set apart, inside of the buy-in, I was, I was going in this direction with this. We have to bring consecration back into our thrones. I'm not saying Nazarite vow, but you have to stand up for what you believe in. The Amish stand up for what they believe in. The Jews stand up. We have got to stop bending to the culture. We have to. We have to. I do not. I don't know what y'all think. I don't get drunk. I do not watch whatever. We don't allow the F word in our house whatsoever. And if there's a lot of cussing on the screen, change it. Change it. Change it. Why? Some of the people are like, why, why? Brother, you're being religious. You Just let your kids watch. No, because I want my kids to be able to go have a six-figure job one day. And you're not going to talk like that at a six-figure job. You're not going to talk like that at a six-figure job. If I go into Ford, can they just throw F-bombs around with the executives and the CEOs when they're talking business? They can't, can they, John? Now, there's a difference in locker room talk, but I don't want my kids to be engaged in locker room talk. I want them to be professional. I want them to be a man of character, a woman of character. So I don't, my, kids, my kids aren't allowed to cuss in the house. We still, old-fashioned is what everybody would call it. It can't be that easy. We've made it that easy in the culture, but it can't be that easy for those that have light. But it becomes that easy when we're not careful. We become more cautious than careful on how we live. Not to be like those with no understanding. So literally, what we have done inside of culture without consecration, why do we have to use the word consecration? Because listen, I don't need the fire on my altar to ever go out. And there's some of us in here as married couples need to go back on a fast. And we need to go back into, I'm not going to listen to secular music for a couple weeks. Not, not for you to change, for you to get closer and clear your mind. I'm telling you right now, if you have a bad attitude at home, what do you listen to, to and fro from work? Metallica is not going to make you want to go home and give your wife a little kiss on the cheek. It's going to make you want to go home and kick the dog. I, I'm serious, man. I make that statement. You listen to certain musics and, and you're still feeding your soul. You're still feeding your soul, Northgate. And there was a level of some things that we walked in back in the day because out of discipline to a Nazarite vow, we thought that's what we needed. But you need to be so in tune with the Holy Spirit that I'm not going to allow cussing in my house. I'm not going to allow different perversions in my house. My daughter's not dressing like that. My son isn't dressing like that. We got to go there sometimes too now. There's got to be some standards that have to be laid. I say it like this to people. If you don't want to put the squeeze on your children, contending them to let them do whatever they want and enable them, then listen, the court system will put a structure on them. If you don't want to put structure on them, a court system will put structure on them. So it's your choice. 
You're not there to, for your, I'm not cultural. Cultural is this. Why, why are you talking about kids in a marriage thing? Because some of you don't like each other because your kids aren't happy. They got real quiet. So I hit something there. Why would your kids have a say in your love life? Because they run the home. And it's time for you to take your home back. It's time for you to take off your glasses, Clark Kent, and quit being patient and kind with the dysfunction of your house. John 3, take your glasses off, undo your tie, rip your Superman chest open, and say, I'm taking my home back. I'm taking my marriage back. I'm not going to be patient and kind to this dysfunction. Nobody's going to talk to my wife that way. This isn't put up your dukes. This is just looking at dysfunction and saying, enough's enough. Not in my house. Not in my house. I'm not saying you got to beat your kids. But I'm saying if they're running through the house cussing, then we put restrictions on them. It's called grounding. Well, brother, I don't want to be about the law. I don't want to be about Ishmael. Listen, freedom is not doing whatever you want to do. That's not you driving down the road as fast as you can. That's not, you understand? That's not you drinking as much as you can to go drive. There are, there are certain guidelines, protections, restrictions set in place to make your home a good place. And it rhymed. Thank God. So you have to have a buy-in. Listen, you have to have a buy-in to the way that we do life. You have to have a buy-in. Somebody said this to me the other day. I was talking to teenagers. I bet your house is strict, blah, 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 blah. And because of you, we don't have phones. I said, my kids got phones. Now, are there restrictions and guidelines on my children's phones? Yes, there is. They don't, my house. And guess what I'm setting myself up for? My kids have no internet data. So guess what I don't have to worry about? Checking my phone. I don't have to add something else to distract me from my bride to check my phone to make sure my kids ain't looking at porn. Yeah. Because they don't have access to it. I don't have to check my phone for something else to scroll through to see if my kids are getting dirty pictures or not getting dirty pictures. Because right now, the most rampant thing in the junior high, not just the high school, in the junior high, sixth grade to eighth grade, is how many Snapchat naked pics can I send to my boyfriend? You don't think that's true? We are dealing with this constantly on an everyday level. So what's the easiest thing to do? Create such a culture of honor in your home that I've never had my 14-year-old Trenton look at me and go, why don't I have that? You know why he doesn't say that? Because he's not absent of anything. He's not trying to scratch an itch. He's not trying, he doesn't ask me about Snapchat, none of that stuff. And matter of fact, he was actually playing a cornhole game on my phone and an ad popped up. I'm driving back from Charlotte and he freaking... Oh, I'm like, whoa, what, what the, he threw the phone at me. I'm driving on 77. Ah, I'm like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. I grabbed it. I'm like, that's awesome. I'm thinking it's 
a naked chick. Yeah. I'm just telling you, that's the first thing that popped in my mind, because why? That stuff happened to me, and that stuff got pulled into my marital bed. At what age? 10, 11 years old is the first time I saw a naked woman. My 14-year-old does not know what naked means yet. He doesn't even know what the word pornography meant when I talked to him at 13 about the birds and the bees. What's pornography, Dad? He wasn't playing stupid. He had no idea. He had no idea. So what was on it was a girl, which it was perverted. It was a girl washing a car in Daisy Duke shorts and a real, like, crop top. And it was a cartoon character. But he had already had such respect because of what's being filtered in the home. Yes. Mommy don't dress like that. Mommy don't try to dress like that. We don't, we don't watch things like that. Like we literally, I like, I, I would like to watch the Fast and the Furious movies just because I like muscle cars and all that. But we don't watch that in our house. Because we don't want our kids to think that that's what sexuality is. Now this isn't for you. Watch, this is not for you. This is for you to understand. When Jesus got identified as beloved, what was the next thing that came? Consecration, buy-in. Buy-in. Go on a 40-day fast, set yourself apart, go into the wilderness, and I'll show you even more who you are. So you can't say with this beloved identity message that there's not a standard and there's not a, you got to believe in something. And it's got to line up with the word of God. We've got to quit looking like the culture out there inside of our homes. And this is causing tension in your marriages because your children so are craving something that they should be getting from Holy Spirit that they're not getting from Holy Spirit because Trent is at the age of accountability. He is 40. If they are over 12, they are accountable for their own soul. You can't pray them into heaven. You can't buy them into purgatory. They can, you have got to start to teach them what it means, man and woman of God, for you to be a man and woman of God inside of marriage, inside of devotion in your own home. I, you have to ask yourself this question. Do your kids see you pray? Do your kids see you read your Bible? Do your kids see you all in in this house, under an apostle, inside a family? It was one of the biggest fights that I had with a son that left here one time at youth group. I said the name Apostle Aaron, Apostle Damon's apostle, and the girl looked at me and said, who's that? Like, are you kidding? You don't know who Apostle Aaron is? You don't know who Damon's apostle is? And it come to find out they never believed in what we were doing. And it caused a young girl to get upset with me. And her father and mother to begin to question me. And I'm going looking at them like, you don't know who Apostle Aaron is? And this is when Joshua and them were at the church yeah. in the old building. I'm giving you truth to live by to stop enabling any kind of dysfunction that would rob your joy, your hope, and your peace. Some of you in this room will be like, this is liberating tonight. And then some of you in this place will be, I'm picking on you. I'm not here to pick on you. Well, and some of you in this place will, will look at this stuff and also make a formula out of it. That's not what That's this not is it either. either. Nope, that's not it either. It's for you with Holy Spirit for your home to pray and figure out like, all right, this is affecting us in this way. We're going to make a change here. Yeah. Yeah, because in, in, in my, my belief, let's go to phones for a minute because y'all know how I hate phones and social media with teenagers. 
and, and to just prove my theory even more again, uh, there was an active shooter at Kent State Roosevelt yesterday. That cyberbullying is what started all that garbage. That's why actually in, in reality, and I'm, I'm hoping some president will actually get brave enough to say, unless you're 18, you can't be on social media. Because you're not supposed to have it unless you're 18 anyway. But, but we're, we're kind of blinking an eye at it because it produces this. So enough said on that. So, so, so inside of that, I've been talking with Trenton about, Trenton, if you can walk in such a degree of integrity and character, you know, we'll talk about at 16 possibly getting you an iPhone. Okay, because at this point, he's really starting to become a man. He's going to start becoming where he's going to go to college. He's going to have to probably get a Twitter account because they track all of that stuff. And what I don't want to do is just cut him loose at 18 like a wild man. But I, 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 I have my rules, and, and these are privileges. That can be taken away, which are called restrictions and guidelines. And wherever you do that with your children is up to you. Okay, it's up to you. But you also can see your own children's walk with the Lord. Just like I just don't throw anybody on that stage to get up here and preach to you. Why is that? Because their life is going to spew out. Y'all see what I'm saying? So be careful how you live. Not to be like those with no understanding, but live honorably with true wisdom, for we are living in evil times. Can everybody say yes, amen to this, correct? Okay, so take full advantage of every day as you spend your life for his purpose. And don't live foolishly, for then you will have discernment to fully understand God's will. And don't get drunk with wine, which will produce rebellion. And rebellion is anything that will begin to oppose itself against the will of God. That's what rebellion is. It is literally a dam. It is literally stopping you from God's will and purpose for your life. So when I see the word drunkenness, it's a no-brainer, clear as day. You should never be under the consumption of alcohol to the point that you can't function. If you're married, one of the easiest ways, and I used to think back to like when I dated in my 20s, what was some of the biggest issues and fights when you and the person you supposedly love or was dating would go to the club, go to the bar, go to the party, go to the concert, they get drunk, what would you guys end up having? A fight. Almost 100% of the time. Okay? So inside of that, we get that. Nobody should be going to the place of where you have no self-control, and that's what I want you to look at. When you have self-control issues... Here's where Pentecostalism screwed this all up, especially in marriages. Brother, we disciplined ourselves to not drink wine. Yeah, but you know what you can't discipline? Your mouth. One of the biggest crutches of a marriage. We don't know when to shut up. You know what that's no different then? At least when you're drunk, you can blame it on the booze. <laughs> well, I was drunk, yeah, but I, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
That's why I'm saying if you ever see anybody drink wine and they do any other thing than just giggle a little bit and get a little perma smile, that's what we call it around here. <laughs> if, if they start vomiting and venting and boohooing and crying, and, 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 and I'm talking like two drinks in, two drinks at, at the dinner table, and all of a sudden they just start vomiting all their stuff and blah, 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 blah. Guess what they have showed? They have no self-control of their mouth. And it doesn't take alcohol to prove that you have no self-control of your mouth. You're using a gossip king in your marriage and you're also a venter and you feel like, I just needed to get that off my chest about my husband or I needed to get that off my chest about my wife which will fix nothing it's like pharmaceutical medicine it feels good for a moment but it does not fix the issue it's no different than pharmaceuticals so that right there boom the other place that we have no self-control is right here in our spending one of the biggest causes of divorce I buy myself this, I buy myself that, I buy myself, dude, I'm going to hit it here in a minute. I'm going to get you guys out of this book right here called the B-I-B-L-E when it talks about women and external pleasures. Specifically, specifically, if we can't keep a budget, which is literally the prosperity of Joseph the dreamer inside of famine for our families and our nations. This will cause marital issues 100% of the time. And if you can't be sat down and talked about your mouth and you can't be sat down and talked about your spending, I can tell you one thing you're lacking and it's the bedroom. Because if you've been taught any kind of marital counseling with me, let me just go back over for nobody's been taught marital counseling. God took nothing and made something. How did he do that? He did that with what? He did dirt. He formed it with his hands. It's the only thing that he created with his hands was a human body. He brings nothing, turns it into something and forms it. Blows breath into it. And... Adam comes alive. From the man, he takes a rib, which was actually not a rib. It was the, because we don't have one less rib than a woman does. That's false. He actually reached inside of the womb of the man and birthed his best friend. For all of you that have this concept of living life for your children, she came from me before my kids did. And so if you're putting your children before your first love, you're out of order. Because I better love her with the same respect that I love them. Okay? So inside of that, when God takes man and woman and separates them and brings them back to wholeness inside of marriage, when he brings them back into wholeness inside of marriage, this is why masturbation is the, this, this is the lack of self-control, which becomes selfish rather than selfless. When we start performing things on our own without our mate with us, and the only way you begin to do that is through fantasy, and I, my personal opinion is, don't tell me, well, I was thinking about her. Yeah. yeah, good luck. If you was thinking about her, I'll go find her. Yeah. And if it's right, I don't need me. Yeah. I got her. The problem is that the reason she's not involved in the scenario is because we messed up everything else. And I promise you, you're fantasizing about somebody else other than him or her. And that's just get real. Just get real. Just get real with it. Okay? So I just showed you self-control issues 
with the mouth, with the spending, and with masturbation. And why do we need to understand the preferring one another and making sure one another are fulfilled and not walking in a rebellion, which is the will of God was what? For man and woman to conceive so that they could remultiply in the earth. That was, and that's why literally men were cursed in the days of the Old Testament when they would let their seed fall to the ground and not allow it. And, and I'm not getting into all that kind of stuff saying you're wrong. If I, I'm not saying that. I, I don't believe that. I don't. But this is what I do believe. And this is going to get uncomfortable for everybody in the room. But the same breath when God put his lips face to face with Adam and went... I believe when a man and a woman come back together as one man, they come back together and they allow themselves to be in such a place of intimacy and intercourse that they get to the place of the climax, of the orgasm. I believe you know why orgasm is the most powerful thing on the planet because in that moment, when I'm with my wife, that's Yahweh doing this to my marriage. And out of that came Trenton. And out of that came Tyler and Taylor. And out of... And I don't care what you say. It's different when there is a couple involved than when you're by yourself. And, and, when, it, and when you have actually have Holy Spirit in the room. I, some of the greatest prayers I've ever prayed over her was not fix her. It was prayers of thanksgiving in that moment for the best friend that God gave me. And sometimes she doesn't even know I'm praying. There's time, I don't need her to know. What, I, what she needs to feel is this. She needs to feel this. So get out of the fantasy of what pornography is of what you think ultimate sex is. No, the ultimate intimacy is the oneness of the union of the man and woman being together and saying, I would not rather be any other place than wrapped up in your arms. That is, because if you're married, listen, if you're married, you're not shooting for the one ultimate scene like pornography. I'm not shooting for an ultimate scene. I'm shooting for righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost in my home. I'm making the marital bed a place of hope, a place of dreams, a place of peace, a place of rest, a place of joy. Just changed everybody's mind. If we'd have sex more, that's not the answer. Because what happens when she has the hysterectomy? What happens when she has the surgery? What happens when I have the surgery on my shoulder? What happens when she has the flu? What happens when the migraine comes? And, And this isn't an opportunity for you ladies in the room to start using physical ailments to not be... But what you have to ask yourself, gentlemen, is why does she not want to be intimate with you? Because if you honor her and you give her patience, kindness, and tenderness, you'll unlock her. And what she really don't want is intercourse anyway. You actually are the one that wants that. She just wants to be in your arms and be safe and secure. All women really want is emotional security. This ain't porn. They don't want you to be the best person in intercourse on the planet. This is not pornography. This is a marital bed of God. They want you. 
They want you. They don't want you to knock their socks off. This isn't you took me home from the bar. They want to be held in the morning. They want to be affirmed. They want to be loved on. And rebellion and lack of self-control in these three areas, communication, spending money, and intercourse are the three leading causes of divorce in America. Because preachers won't take time to preach this from their pulpit. Because when I start talking about orgasms and I start talking about sex, people in here that have, you get issues with it. You get issues with it. But I just say it like this to the person don't like what I'm talking about. You don't have to sit in the counseling sessions. I do. So I'd rather just talk about it with everybody and get it out on the air and open now. I'd rather get it on the air and open now. You've got to understand this recreation, all this stuff. Think about before the one plus zero made zero. What did the intimacy look like? And everybody in here that I've married, if I married you, raise your hand. Raise your hand. So they can all attest to this. In premarital counseling, I said this to all of them about self-control. They went through all of this that I'm teaching right now. And this is what I told them. I said, before there is no covenant with God, watch how this works. Before there is no covenant with God, all you want to do is have sex with each other. Before there is no covenant with God. It's funny how when covenant with God happens, and I said, let the honeymoon phase out, give it about three months. You'll find yourself about fourth or fifth month everything becomes an obstacle that you don't want to touch each other. And almost every single one of them found themselves at that milestone. And how did we get there? Because money or communication became an issue, which messed with this, which messed with us being devoted to one another. And then we become rebellious against God's plan. And that's to be with one another. That's God's plan. That's God's plan. Y'all tracking with me? I got 30 more minutes to land this plane. All right. I see Tina looking at her to watch. So if you got anything, add it to me. But I'm, I'm going to read here for a minute because we just talked about the rebellion. And don't get drunk with wine, which is rebellion. Instead, be filled continually, continually with the Holy Spirit. And your hearts will overflow with a joyful song to the Lord. Keep speaking to each other words of Scripture singing the Psalms with praises and spontaneous songs given. Went too far. By the Spirit, always give thanks to Father God for every person He brings into your life in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And out of your reverence for Christ, be supported of each other in love for wives. Okay, watch what he says here. Always give thanks to Father God. What is that? Somebody tell me what that is. Raise your hand. What is that? What do you think that is? Always give thanks to Father God. What is that? It's prayer. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Because nobody thinks we pray in the love joy house. Every single day, what's your buy-in? We are a family of devotion, honor, and order. One of the things of the order of our house that brings peace and rest is our communication, our finances, and our intimacy with us and our children. Every day, I don't live with just her. 
Now, John and Mary Ellen, my mom and dad, Tina's parents, Ed and Jeanette, their prayer time together may look a little bit different than our family of six. So what I don't have to do because I'm operating in the order of my house in honor and I'm being devoted and being present to this girl right here. What I don't have to do at the end of the night before we go to bed, because actually how we go to bed is we actually have a high degree of intimacy and we actually like, we massage each other. Feet, legs, neck, arms, whatever. For us, that's more important the cuddling, the tenderness, the holding each other than me saying, God, I, I'd, be, I'd be honest, I don't even know how I would do it. I don't know how I would every day without watch religiously saying prayers to try to change her. Yeah. What? Listen to me. For those of you that are pissed off, he won't pray with me. But is he praying with you and the children? Come on, man. If that's not happening, then you got an issue, Jack. You haven't bought into our lifestyle. You've not bought in. I guarantee when they pray, and I could be wrong, and when they pray, and when my parents pray, and when they pray, it's not for each other as much as it is Chad and Kelly. Jimmy and Tina, yeah. Tig and Braden, Tara and Trista, and I hope they pray for us. <laughs> she has, they, they, listen, they had to pray for us because I changed. I changed. This was the one time God answered the prayer. God changed Jimmy Lovejoy, and he answered, and he answered, and he answered. Pat has never changed. I, no, I'm teasing. <laughs> <laughs> See how I did that? I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. But no, man, listen, our family can like shout to the mountain of dysfunction in the beginning days of watch. We didn't communicate well, did we, mama? We didn't, mama and mama, we did not communicate well at all. And then literally, Mike would be like, just love them, just love them, just love them. And then prayers would happen between the four of us, just change them. But when these messages of beloved identity and what we've been tracking and they have tracked with us as we have tracked with spiritual fathers, we've watched all of this change from like we couldn't even have a conversation. Both families were horrible with money. And then the intimacy of just being able to hug each other on the holidays was awkward. I'm getting real, man. Like y'all got to track with me, but somewhere we bought in. To devotion, honor, and order, and peace and rest came. How, honor, how you see them changed. Scorecards, I don't even bring, like in joking, we bring up the past. But there was a time we couldn't let go of the one plus zero. There was a time we could, there was a time she could look at me and be like, he punched the wall and he said this and we actually started putting on Christ and casting sin as far as the east is to the west. We're so changed in our family. We're so changed today. We don't even think about 
what the first and second and third and fourth year even looked like. And if you struggle to give thanks, watch, give thanks. Probably my number one prayer, God, thank you for my family. God, thank you for our kingdom family. Thank you for this city. Thank you for this home. And then we do specifics. You know, Ed had his eye surgery. You guys are going through something. I just use that as an example because that was the most recent thing. The Biltzes are buying, looking for a home. Like we pray into those things specifically. Trenton's back. T-Bone's having a rough time on a test. We pray into those specific things. Mommy, when she had her, when my wife needs prayer, not changed. You're religious, man. You're religious. Because the change happens when we're all willing, when we're all willing to be selfless, when we're all willing to be selfless, when we're all willing to have grace and truth and love and have patience and kindness, not with the dysfunction, with the people, and we're willing to bring truth. Are you okay? Why are you asking if I'm okay? Because you're not acting how I've seen you act in the grace and glory of God. You're not being you. You have to speak to the real them. Not the dysfunctional them and just go, well, they're right on time. This is where we can pervert that. Well, they're right on time and they're right where they're supposed to be. But somebody's supposed to be the er in their story. Somebody's supposed to be the er, that's enough. That, that's enough. So, you're seeing it. Somebody's got to go in grace and life. and That's what John 5 says. Confess your faults one to another, that the prayers of the righteous availeth much so that you can be made whole. That's what that means. And the next thing says, man, if you have a brother that's fallen away from who they really are, then you go and pick them up and lead them back to what? To the way we do life which is not of that world. We're called to be separate. We're called to be different. And you can religiously do that or you can find out what the order of your house looks like. Now we have the, we were homeschooled. We get to do this in the mornings. If it doesn't work for you in the mornings, then you do it after school or you do it after work or you do it right before dinner. But you find your place and quit letting it slip. Because the scripture tells us before we can even get into submitted wives and submitted husbands, are we giving thanks? Are we, what's giving thanks? Not looking at one plus zero equals zero. It's, hey, today, two plus three equaled five. Yeah. Hey, you know what? And yesterday, five plus four equaled nine. The Bible told us to meditate on things that are pure, on things that are holy, on things that are honorable. But you've wired yourself because of that culture out there to look at the negative and the negative only. And, what's wrong. and listen, that's how our job works. Adam has to look at what the bricklayers are doing wrong. I have to, if people stand next to me at a high school football game, we were talking, she was on the phone with me with Coach Thompson today because I was talking with some of this with Coach Thompson and because uh, I was looking for another um, activation to start and he did this with the team. And uh, he was asking me what I'm doing and I told him what I'm doing. And uh, I said, man, it's so funny in all of our relationships, we're wired in everything that we do in our lives to look at what's wrong and not what's right. Every bit of it. Kid brought a home an F but got straight A's. What do you look at? The F. Look at your careers, your job. Armin's a band director. You know what he's not listening to? The 40 kids that sound good. He can hear the, hey, you over there. You know what I'm saying? 
You can come into Lita's shop with bad color and bad haircut. Whoa! We sent her something today of some goofy picture of a woman with black hair and just a strand of like blonde extensions. And we said, is this how y'all do extensions? It's scissors. You know what I'm saying? Because we're wired to see the negative and not the positive. And that's right. It's right for him to be an honor and do that as a bricklayer. That's right for her to cut hair that way. That's right for him to run the band that way. That's right for you guys to put in flooring that way. That's right for you to do that in your jobs. But where that's not right is when that carries over with no thanksgiving and no honor in the marriage. And one of the things that she had to correct me on was she sat me down. She's like, I'm not one of the kids you coach. I'm not your daughter. I'm not one of the Marines. This was the beginning phases of our marriage. Jimmy, it's not who I am. That's not who I am. And so this is where you need to be the husband that God called you to be, and you need to be the wife that God called you to be. And this is what the scripture tells us with Apostle Paul writing here. And out of your reverence for Christ, out of your love for Jesus, listen to me, out of your love for God, and if you have no personal devotion, if you look at me, if you have no personal devotion, you're not getting any of this right no matter how much you principle it. If you're not getting alone and having a conversation with Holy Spirit, this next part is irrelevant to you. And you have to figure out what has made you view yourself not worthy to take five minutes to talk with God. And you know what might spark, because this is what we think right now, and we get the text messages. He won't do devotion. She won't do devotion. Do you know when my wife exploded in devotion, when I stopped paying attention to what her devotion looked like? And I started operating in kindness and love. I started doing me. I started doing the husband part. Then you know what I started walking in on? Her tears running down her face in front of her Bible. Because it's always been easy for Jimmy Lovejoy to crack this book and start getting all kinds of stuff. When I was a teenage boy, my mom could walk in the room and I'd be like, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. It's the encouragement versus discouragement. If you keep pointing out what they're not doing right, they're not going to do it at all. It's a scorecard again. I do more than you. I used to do that to her all the time. I do more than you. But God wasn't requiring... Listen, I'm going to say this. Stop putting your husband's study habits with my name attached to it. Because there's no man in here, but probably this one right here, Curtis over there and Nietzsche that will sit and study their Bibles. And I could be wrong. Nobody's going to sit in front, like I did today. I sat in my office, in the, ask Nietzsche and Tina, for literally probably three or four hours locked in the Word of God. You're, stop. Your husbands aren't me. And any revelation he gets... It shouldn't be measured to Damon Thompson. It shouldn't be measured to Jimmy Lovejoy. It shouldn't be measured to Mark Casto. It shouldn't be measured to Bobby Limley. Any revelation your husband or wife gets 
about the Bible or about Jesus and about beloved identity. Celebrate, 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 celebrate. Comparison is the thief of authenticity. She's a seer and he's a weeper. And when she gets up and says some far out galactic stuff, you're like, whoa. And he gets up and tears run down his face and the pastor stands up and says, Jesus loves you and I love you. And just the tears from the pastor run Whoa. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quit putting it on a scale. How does, goes back to this. Honor, how do you see them? And there was a time where he didn't think he was as spiritual as her because she was a seer and he was a pastor. She was more of the prophetic. Do you know what that means? We've got more for the punch. You've got to see the bigger picture. But you won't do that if you don't give thanks. So in the beginning, when I first met Ed and he didn't pray in tongues and he, brother, he's not spiritual. And then God starts showing me the eldership and the pastoral on their lives. I ask them to come into leadership. I start seeing them rightly. I start calling them who they are in the spirit. And they have become a financial lifeline to you in this house. I want to say something. I want to break a, I want to debunk something. Creativity. Ed Heaver is one of, actually one of the most creative men I actually know. Yeah. Creativity can be rainbows and painting and dancing and flag waving, but it can also be creative ways to bring order and structure into chaos. Yes. So he actually operates in a higher degree of creativity of almost anybody I know when it comes to bringing the order in the financial world. You are creative. Just because you are painting and waving flags here, you're creative. So, and that's something like I had to struggle with. That's why I want to debunk it in this house. I, I love when my sisters come in. I love when Des comes in. I love when Jesse come in and their colors flying everywhere. And we get really excited because that is some of you. But then some of you walk in shame because, well, why am I not operating in creativity? You are. You bring order to chaos in your home. You are a mom working a full-time job with three babies at home and find time to do everything for them and have happy babies to put to bed. You are a creative. Everything we do, we get from Holy Spirit. And what? listen to me. Devotion, honor, and order are keys. But man, if your husband... And you, if your husband's not there, are doing a devotion. Listen, y'all would laugh sometimes at my Jesus Calling book that is basic principle 101 with my kids and my wife. Because what good is it to try to find a big, fat... I do preach to my kids. I teach my kids this, devotion, honor, and order, point blank. And guess how I run my house? Like Jimmy Lovejoy should run his house. Some of you still have other people running your house. Some of you have children running your house. 
That's why the communication looks like it's in third grade. Because your children throw temper tantrums, because you throw temper tantrums. If you pout and shut down and don't talk and don't communicate, then guess what little four-year-old Johnny's going to do? Shut down, cry, kick his feet, scream. You build the culture of your home, not me. This is what I'm asking every woman in this room. Does your house look like your husband? I'm asking you a question. Does your home look like him? If it doesn't, then you better figure out whose authority you're leading by in the home. Whether it's in-laws, whether it's children. Ed Heaver's house should look like Ed Heaver. And John Hinchman's house should look like John Hinchman. And Warren's house should look exactly like Warren. Justin should look like, and I could go on and on and on. If your house doesn't look like your husband, then we have to ask ourselves, are the wives getting in the way and are the children having full reign of bringing the culture into your buy-in? Because you wouldn't be sitting here if you didn't get touched in the glory. And you should have glory in your home, not in your church. You should have it in your church and your home. Y'all track me? That's not to say you can't have people in your house. Have people in your house. I've had people in my house. But guess what? When you came to my house, it's my house. You moved into my house, it's my house. And when my kids are 16, 17, and 18, 19, and 20, living in my house, guess whose house it is? It's my house. And when you can pay your own bills and you can do all, then you can do whatever the heck you want to do. Right. But until you are doing that, it's my house. And we're going to go to church and we're going to be consecrated and we ain't bringing drugs in and we ain't looking at junk on computers and we're not watching stuff on TV and we're not listening to whatever we want to. We're not doing that because it's my house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord is what the Bible says. As for me. But how do we get to that point? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. It's simple. It's simple. You know how we started off with our kids when they were little? You know how amazing our prayer time was? God, our maker, once again, we bow our heads to thank you. Amen. And little Tatum and little Trenton and little Sissy and little T-Bone. Amen. And they're doing it at Momo's house right now. But now that's shifted from we're not going to bully we're not going to stand around and watch bullying. We're going to be the earth in the story. We're not going to enable it. We're going to be the earth in the story. And I'm not saying my kids are perfect. Trenton got involved in some stupid shenanigans with the football team last year, and he got corrected. Why? Because teenagers are supposed to be immature. They're supposed to be. But we have a buy-in here. We're, we're almost finished, okay? Got some, got some few scriptures to read. I want to, I still got, I'll get you out of here at nine o'clock. And out of your reverence for Christ, be supportive of each other in love, which is patience and kindness. For wives, this means being devoted. The King James Version we all were taught was being submitted, 
Okay, I'm going to go over here because I want you guys to see this. Being devoted, wives, means are you present? Look at me. If you're tired, you're worn out, you're frustrated, you're, you're wasting your energy in places that you shouldn't. Let me give you a prime example. I went clear to North Carolina. I understand I'm built a little bit different, but watch. I, I get home at 3 o'clock, get Trenton. We drive all the way to the Carolinas. We watch the football game. I drive all the way home. I'm back by noon. I get up the next morning at 7.30 to make sure that we do devotion with the kids and was not dragging. Why? Because my energy was put into what it was supposed to be put into. If you, it's scientifically, this is science with your body. If you find yourself tired, lethargic, frustrated, wore out, about to blow a gasket, about to flip out, it's because you're being present in the wrong areas. You're being devoted to the wrong thing. And the first thing we're all called to be devoted to is our spouses. Okay? Every single one of us. My highest degree of devotion should be to Tina and Tina's highest degree of devotion should be to me. Does that make sense? Not to my family, not to my kids. I need to make sure that she is being emotionally, financially taken care of. And that's the same thing back to me. She, the submission thing is not do what I tell you, woman. No, are my husband's needs met? Is he being, that's submission. She asks herself the question, is he being fulfilled? As, watch this, but you got to do this. Is she being, is he being fulfilled as the head of our home? How many of you own companies? Raise your hand. It would suck all the people that work for you if they just told you to flip off all the time, wouldn't it? But who do, who do you are the closest to? Those that are devoted to your business. That are making sure what? Things are being met. I hate that we have to use a business standpoint, but that's the thing. Wives, are your husbands being fulfilled? All right? That's how I'm, I'm, I'm leaving this. Not do, it, do what you're told, even though that is sometimes the direction of the, like men lead your house, Men start leading your house. That doesn't mean be a punk. That means you need to figure out the order of the Holy Ghost has for your home. You got to step up at some point. You have to step up. But watch this. But what if the woman's leadership mantle is stronger than the male's? Make sure he's supported. If you are easier and more able to talk openly in front of people, then why do you throw it on him who's not a big talker in front of people and say, you need to read the Bible and you need to speak? And he's going, oh. Uh. You see what I'm saying? Like, just because you're an extrovert doesn't mean you got to force him to be an extrovert. Y'all tracking with me? Because that's what's happening in this house. I have more extroverted women than I do men. And then you want him to be extroverted the way I'm extroverted, and so then you don't submit to him. What if his greatest devotion is put Rick Pino on, and we're going to sit in silence for five minutes? Awesome. Awesome. It's more than what they're doing out there in the dark world. If you don't know what to say, but just put a podcast. We're going to listen to five minutes of Apostle Damon tonight. Awesome. Find what works for you. You don't have to be a speaker like me. 
I don't care if you start putting on Veggie Tales. We're going to watch Veggie Tales with our J- James and Livy. We're going to sit. This is what we're going to do tonight for devotion. We're going to watch Veggie Tales. You don't have to do it the way I do it. I'm a public speaker. I'm a football coach. Talking is what I do. I could talk for the next three hours after I've done two. And we're sitting here going, John Bollinger, you, brother, you ain't doing devotion the way Jimmy does it. John's not going to do it the way that I do it. And if that works for you, awesome. But find what works for you, that the word of truth is being spread to everybody in your home. Does that make sense? All right. Wives, be devoted to your husbands. Likely you are tenderly devoted to the Lord. I talked about this earlier. If you're not being devoted to the Lord, then it's just not going to happen. If you have no personal devotion, okay, and here's the thing. Some people are going to get free of this. You're going to get free tonight. We're not judging your devotion anymore. We're not judging it. If they start acting up, what's going on? How you doing? And in a calm way, what are you hearing in your devotion? That should literally be the conversation of the whole house. What are you hearing? Because there's got to be things going on in your world that you're praying about. Can I let you in on something that we're going to do? I don't know what it's going to look like. We're cutting all of this carpet out. And one Sunday a month, I'm going to let all the rainbow people come in here and decorate our marble-looking floor with whatever words of the kingdom they want to. And then you know what we're going to start doing at 5.30 prayer? What we did in the gym. Whatever you're dealing with, it's finances. I'm just using finances in the Kale's house. Write it down. And you know what we're going to do? We're not going to sit in our seats anymore. We're going to dance all over God's answered prayers. We're the North Gate. This is what we do. We don't sit in seats. COVID's over. We celebrate on the throne of God. I, I, I know one time I want to see the word throne just huge. We're going to get out of our seats and come to the throne of God. We're going to get out of our seats and come towards love. And we're going to get out of our seats and go towards joy. We're going to start changing our positions. Because this is how I lead. I'm a spontaneous leader. And I've been in a fly zone wanting to land for a while. And thank God for a brother who at 7 o'clock this morning says, you've been asking to change some things. And the Holy Spirit said, go. And then he just started nailing me with prophecies. And he said, the reason you're in a holding pattern is because God's dealing with the root system of the house. God's going to deal with some marriages and God's going to deal with this. And the rockets better get ready because it's launching season. But you're going to launch into a more of an authentic identity and you're going to operate in more authenticity than you've ever operated before because it's time to hold the fruit. So what is the first thing I want to do? I want to bring all of this into proximity because instead of me preaching way back there and somebody sitting over here, I can take two steps and be right at you. Because you want to know what one of the most contagious things about me that goes on in this inner world is when you see the truth of the fire that's in my eyes, I actually believe what I say. And from Justin McCoon's mouth, one of the biggest irritations he first had with me, he's like, I've never met a man that lived what he preached. He said, you make me mad. 
You, you make me in the inner world mad. It was in Joe and Lisa's kitchen. I'm infuriated in here because you actually live what you preach. And all he needed for reassurance was just love. And that was it. That was it. All I've ever done on those two is love them. All I've ever done in everybody's room is love them. And we're going to continue to do that. Love the hell out of people. It's time. It's time. It's time. And it starts in our home. We have to love people unconditional in our home. For the husband provides leadership. Watch this. The husband provides leadership. Read this one more time. The husband provides leadership. It's hard to provide leadership, ladies, when you knock every idea he has. It's hard. We're the ox company, which means we're the dreamers, which means we don't think like everybody else. So listen, you're going to have to start trusting. As long as it lines up with what? Everything has to be birthed where, Apostle D says. Every idea should come from a what? Seat of devotion. He was praying, boom, back, back you. Next thing, is it going to bring honor or dishonor? Is it going to bring encouragement or discouragement? Quit bucking. It, here's what we do. Man comes up with an idea. And we go, does it match what we're doing out there? Stop, that's not the gauge. Does it match in here? Does it match in here? Quit, quit worrying about, does it match? It? Are my kids going to be popular? Are my kids going to be loved? Are my kids going to be wanted? Does it match in here? Does it match with devotion, honor, and order? Does it match in here? That's your gauge. First, he got it in devotion. Second, does it bring honor to the family name? Is it encouraging or discouraging? And this is what we got to figure out. Guess what you're fired up about? The order of the home. There's no peace and no rest because you won't let him bring it into order. Because my kid's got to be a part of this. My kid's got to be a part of that. My kid's got to have this. My kid's got to have that. And guess what? Our biggest fight in this, this group right here, what our kids have and don't have. Because why? Are we worried about what they look like in here, up here up front with their hands raised and jumping? Or are we more worried about do they blend in or are they popular in public school? What's your real gauge? What's your real gauge? Be truthful. This is light coming. This is light coming because the question is going to be next year is when Apostle D sends finances for us to start Legacy Academy here, where are you going your kids? In the home of the Rockets or in the home of the Rockets? Right. Because my kids don't have to walk the hallways and see the pornography and the perversion and all the garbage to lead Streets Real School System. They're on a football field right now leading the school system. Yeah. Still got 60 kids from the public school in here. Yeah. Listen, you do whatever the Lord tells you to do. If we got four kids in Legacy Academy, six, I, four, I already got four. We already got four, my four. So if we got six, two more, then that's on you, man. That's, that's what's best. I'm, I keep saying this. What's best for you? For the husband provides leadership for the wife just as Christ provides leadership for his church as the Savior and Reviver of the body. Reviver of the body. In the same way, the church is devoted to Christ. Let the wives be devoted to the husbands in everything. 
And to the husbands, you are to demonstrate love, patience, and kindness with your wife. Gentlemen, wake up. They're emotional beings. And you can either make this worse or you can make this better. You can make this worse. Guess how you start making this worse? When she doesn't feel secure and you're in your lazy boy and you're going, yeah, yeah. So is that what you want Christ to do on the throne when you start praying? Sit on his throne, kick his feet up and go, yeah, 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 yeah. Or when she, because you know when she's emotionally distraught and not secure and you go hide in your garage or you go hide in your hobbies rather than pulling her in your arms. Because isn't that what we sing here that we want God to do when we're distressed? Pull me in your arms, pull me in your arms. You're going to have to learn because this is what you want Jesus to do. You want Jesus to stop everything that he's doing and pay all attention to you. When your wife don't feel secure, she wants all of your attention, all of it. And you know what you need to do? Give it to her. Because how many times have you been in this church when you thought it was all falling apart, when you thought it was all falling apart and he gave you all of his attention? this is strong man can I read one more scripture text for you go with me to 1 Peter some of y'all stayed up to co- and watch Cobra Kai till midnight so I can speak for a little bit I'm going to ask you this question in your house and you have to answer this honestly are you light or are you heavy you have to start answering these questions are you a burden in the house or are you light? Okay, so I'm gonna read with you for a little bit. Where, get me up there, Kevin. Why is that not on? Dag on it. All right, three one, three one. And now let me speak to the wives. Man, both Peter and Paul just come right at you girls, don't they? <laughs> Gee whiz, man. Because Apostle Paul wrote Ephesians and Apostle Peter wrote but listen, he gets them in here, so just relax. But he goes right after the women first. Daggone culture. And now let me speak to the wives. Be devoted. Here it is again. Be devoted to your own husbands. Not what I'm wanting to talk about. So that even if some of them do not obey the word of God, if your husband doesn't do church, obey God at all, watch what this says. Your kind conduct may win them over without you saying a thing. For when they observe your pure godly life before God, it will begin to impact them deeply. I say flip that. I say flip it both ways. I love that the apostle Peter comes right at the women and says, listen, be kind. But men, you have to as well. This, listen, this is not a one-way street. You have to operate, and it's important, men, for you to unlock your bride. As much as it's important for a father to unlock sons, it's important for you. If you don't feel like you have the fullness of your wife, unlock her. She's beautiful. She's amazing. She has love languages. She is your treasure. Learn to unlock one another. Learn to unlock each other, okay? Okay. 
if you feel like there's a wall between you, learn to unlock each other, okay? Be kind, all right? Be kind. For when they observe your pure godly life before God, it will impact them deeply. Let your true beauty, Mama Tina's gonna take over here in a second. Let your true beauty come from your inner personality, not a focus on the external. Makeup, hair, nails, clothes does not identify of him chasing you. You think it's going to do the diet. Maybe if I look like I'm 18 again. No, that's not it. That's not it. It's right back to here. You can get your hair done five different ways from Sunday. You can get your nails done. You can go on a diet. You can get fake whatever you want. Because guess what? All those women with plastic surgery are getting more divorced. Let's just get real again. Look like a cover model and marriages ain't working. We're called to be different in here. Our beauty does not come from the external. Um, when, when he and I were reading through this earlier, I told him, I'm like, do you remember that old phrase that you used to use when you would have a bad attitude and like your grandma would look at you and be like, why are you being ugly? Do you yeah. So it so was good. the attitude and it was the character that actually made us ugly. And here it's saying that your kind conduct, your gentleness is actually your beauty. So a lot of women, I know, I know firsthand because several women in this room, well, he's not attracted to me and I have to do this because I feel like I don't have his attention. And well, that's not where beauty actually is coming from. You're actually acting ugly at the house. You are not acting beautiful in the house. So he's not being attracted to you because your actions are ugly. So your beauty comes from you being kind to your spouse. There was a moment in, in her insecurity. The Lord just took me back to this. When we first got married and we first were kind of coming through some things and we moved back up here. Tina went back to her natural hair color. She started exposing her ears. She only wore foundational makeup. She didn't get her nails done. She went back to the simplest of simplest of who she is. And I believe because she did that, number one, the Lord began to deal with her insecurities. Number two, I'm watching my wife get more beautiful with age. And there, there was an old apostolic preacher when my Aunt Gloria died. When my Aunt Gogo died, and this was several years back now, this is probably close to 10, eight years. This man and his wife preached my aunt's funeral and she had the long dress, no makeup. And there's something that we're missing in this generation of grandma carrying the beauty of the Lord. We Older women in the room, do not get mad at me, but we have an issue with wanting to age. And we have men having an issue with our wives wanting to age. We don't want our wives to age, so we tell them to go get their hairs done, their nails done, all these kind of things, and they're not being true to the simplicity of their self. Right. I want you guys to hear me. 
Because when she is in her 60s and 70s, I want her to shine like gold. And this woman had the most beautiful silver golden hair and she just shined with the brilliance of maturity and with the brilliance of everything that she's been with through the Lord. Remember what the man prayed in the beginning part of this. We've been through every crisis together and she did not look like she was beat up. She actually looked beautiful. 70 years of age. What are, we, what are we literally trying to hide? You cannot hide the wrinkles. You cannot hide what you have been through with the Lord. Allow it to magnify your beauty rather than make you look beat up. Come on, yeah. I, I, and that, listen, this is for 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, and above in the room. Allow your true beauty to come out. And we're trying to be, but maybe this is what he likes. And maybe this, I can remember one time when we first got together, we got in a fight over how the color she dyed her hair. Like, what am I thinking? And that has been some of us in the room getting mad over haircuts and hairstyles. And, and, and it's not to say that we don't have preference of things. It's, it's not. Because watch, I actually would not, I would like to not have a beard. But she likes that I have one. So you know what I do? I do it for her. You see how this works? There's a difference of her do. I, I challenge some of y'all to sit down in the next couple of days and go, what do you like and don't like? No, what do you like and don't like? Tell me what you like and don't like. One of the most freeing moments in our marriage was when I was on a hill in Marietta and my wife is my revival, remember? Yeah. My wife is my revival. I called her, deer hunting was off at this point. I'm talking to her on the phone and I'm asking her what she likes and don't like about me. And we were being open. And we, listen, it went from more from just physical attributes and looks to what do you not like in the bedroom? It got real, man. There was things I was asking her to do that she was just like, that's not me. Yeah, this is serious. Some of y'all would get some major transformation by just sitting down and being able to communicate what you like and what you don't like. And some of you women in the room may find the most inner beauty you've ever found. If you just cut all the eccentrics out for a while. Why did you color your hair that way? Why did you the nails? Why did you do the eyelashes? Why did you, why did you, what did you do that for? What were you really screaming out for? Y'all tracking with me? And all this goes back to that first thing in this communication. All right, we're almost done. For lasting beauty comes from a gentle and peaceful spirit. Let me read this one more time. For lasting beauty, so you can have the, Fake this, fake that, fake hair, makeup. Lasting beauty comes from a gentle and peaceful spirit, which is precious in God's sight and is much more important than the outward adornment of elaborate hair, jewelry, and fine clothes. Because guess what we start hitting into in here? We start dressing ourselves up so much thinking this is going to fix the marriage or this is going to make me feel good and then we can't operate in the highest degree of generosity which opens every door in the kingdom 
We can't pay our tithes. We can't honor spiritual authority correctly. And we find ourselves in an issue again because we were trying to buy our way into something or buy our way out of something. When the simplicity is everything. If you have financial issues right now, I'm going to Ed Heaver and he's going to high five me right now. If you have financial issues, you probably shouldn't be go get, sorry, lady, you probably shouldn't go get your hair colored. Then I'm going to have a financial <laughs> <laughs> But the awesome part of it is you're not based off of one client. Her life's not, because the Lord will take care of them inside of their generosity. What you have to do is bring yourself into order so we can honor Lita's salon correctly and honor the mom and pop shops of Rooted Oaks. We can honor Justin and Warren. You can pay for him to cut your grass. You see what I'm saying? You start doing these things correctly. It's not that these things are bad. Are y'all checking with me with this? It's that they're out of order. It's out of order. So we won't use the hair salon as a, because then lead to things that matter. But the clothes. You, do you have a lack of clothes in your closet? This is the biggest downfall of America, period. Yeah. Let's go back to financial 101 because I was actually reading it over here and that's probably going to be my next month again. Let's go back to our basic principles. Do we have $1,000 emergency money in that? Once we have a thousand, are we gearing towards our three to five? Once we have three to five, then we can start living with a little bit of pleasure. But until we get to three to five, we probably shouldn't be living with pleasure because what happens when the kid breaks his arm? What happens when the fire happens? What happens when the car breaks down? What happens when the fridge? Because that's how the enemy works. And then what we'll do is we'll make a scorecard out of the three to five when it's just a simple standard. You don't have to have actually three, because really when you get to the three to five, the three to five turns to eight, the eight turns to 10, the 10 turns to 15, because you started putting things in order. But you're going to have to for the thousand, just like with your kids, you're going to tighten up. The three to five, tighten up. Once we're there, some of y'all forgot McDonald's and Burger King used to be that. Ooh, that was a big night out in Lovejoy House when I was a kid. McDonald's maybe once every two months. Now because of the culture out there has made us. Because what's not relevant anymore? Family dinner table. That's why when you come to my house and you walk in my house, the first thing you'll see is my huge 10-person dinner table that I love to sit at with my wife and my children and my parents. There's something about sitting at that table that just makes life different. But to do that, you're going to have to do what? Slow down. All right. So I went over 15 minutes. We're almost done. Holy women of long ago who had set their hopes in in God beautified themselves with lives lived in difference to their own husband's authority. Indifference, sorry, 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 sorry. In, she corrected me. Yeah, I realized when I read it. Indifference to their own husband's authority. For example, our mother Sarah devoted herself to her husband Abraham and even called him master. What do you call your husband? What do you call your spouse? In our house, it's mama. What, how, it's the communication thing again. 
the Bible's here clearly showing us what do you call each other. And listen, that's whether it's good or bad. Whether it's good times or bad times, what do you call each other? Go ahead. Well, I'm kind of glad he messed up that word because I don't know that I've ever actually read that that way. So the women of God beautified themselves with lives lived in deference to their own husband's authority. So that's, we don't quite see eye to eye on something, but I know his role, according to the word of God, is leadership for the house. So I'm going to defer what I think and trust his leadership. That's what that is. Sarah didn't fully understand what Abraham was getting because God spoke it to Abraham, right? So she didn't understand it. It made zero sense to the culture of their day at all, but she deferred her opinions, her ideas, how she wanted to do it to her husband's leadership. Here's the next part. She's going to say something again. Just keep the mic. And you have to become her daughters, Sarah's daughters, which means in imitation of her. When you do what is right without fear and intimidation. When we, uh, when we, we were first reading through that and he's like, so when he and I were breaking this down, he said, so the men just can't come and rule with fear and intimidation and the iron fist. And I said, wait a minute, it's not even talking about the man there. It said, and you have become her daughters, this speaking to the wives, when you do what's right without fear and intimidation. So the wife who intimidates the house by, if mom ain't happy, the house ain't happy. Ooh, demonic proverb. It's manipulation. It's fear and intimidation to the house. So it's not saying there, wife, make sure you're submitting to your husband with a fear without fear of him putting the hammer down. That's not what it's saying. It said, you don't get to rule the house either with fear and intimidation. Two demonic proverbs. If mama's not happy, the house isn't happy. You can't find that anywhere in scripture. Okay. Demonic proverb of our culture that our culture lives by. And then they make fun of us religiously and say, he's the head. Well, then I'm the neck that turns the head. How do I know that is a demonic proverb? Because when we were at a mega church, back when I traveled with the circuit riders, we were literally, and it just came up, we were talking about can't have revival without having it in the home first, without having Jesus in the home first. And one of my brothers at the time got up and said, and I'm sick of taking demonic proverbs from the culture and using them in the house of God. And he mentioned that specific one, which I had never even heard that one before. We later found out that the pastor's wife would get up in front of a 2,000-seat congregation and make that statement about her husband all the time. Yeah, ladies, he might be the head, but we're the neck that turns the head. It's silent in here. It shouldn't be silent in here. It should be like, that doesn't exist in our house. If I have a bad day, it doesn't mean that I should be affecting everyone else. Because then that's not a love of laying down my life to prefer others. It's actually completely contradictory of the Bible and Jesus completely. There's no greater love than a man lay down his life for his friend. There's no greater love than I have the self-awareness that if I'm having a bad day, it's not my right to bring everybody else down with me. And that's whether male or female. 
But this is where we have to have enough love in the home that we can sit down and say, hey. And listen, a lot of things don't have to be fixed in the moment. Some of you guys are moment fixers. Like, we need to talk about this right now. Right now, we need to talk. We need to talk. We need to talk right now. You married them. They don't want to talk right now. And you poking that bear, male or female, is going to get your finger bit. Learn how your spouse processes. If your spouse isn't a moment processor, then you can't force them to become a, they're not your microwave. We need to talk about this right now. Right now, we need to talk about this. I'm upset. We need to talk right now. And the other one's going, I need a minute. My wheels are spinning. Like, I am a moment processor. Like, we need to talk about this right now. Right now, this is messed up. This is out of order. We got to get this fixed right now. Tina has taught me this. You got to give her some time, a couple hours. This is what I've really learned about my wife. It's not about giving her time. She goes to Holy Spirit, and I know she does. And then she comes back and sits down and says, okay, tell me what you're thinking. And then I have to, in good faith, trust what she's hearing. Because the greatest gauge for Holy Spirit in my house for me is not even Damon Thompson, it's her. Because guess who you can't hide anything from? There's even things you can hide from me. But literally, it's, once again, it's the bride and bridegroom thing. You can't hide anything from God. I am her groom. She's my bride. We can't. There should be no hiding here. Does that make sense? All right. Last paragraph here. Husbands, you in turn must treat your wives with tenderness. Gentlemen, softer than soft, tender than tender. She's not your coworker. Listen to me. She's not your. Well, they kind of run rooted oaks together. Most of you in the room <laughs> are not co-workers. Quit talking to your spouse like she's one of the guys. She's not one of the guys. Tenderness, tenderness. View them as a feminine partner. It's hard to view a female as feminine when she's trying to put up her dukes against a man. Let's be real in the room. And there's a couple bad chicks in the room. Ashley McCoon being one of them. Okay. As bad as she was, and this is back in the day. We're going back in the day. I'm not looking at your one plus zero. Stories. She's a bad chick. If I was to put boxing gloves on Justin and Ashley, I'm sorry. I'm betting the house on Justin. And it's true. It's truth. It's truth. But watch. Where did, where did I get that analogy? When we were going through our transformation, she would never try to fight me with her fist. She would always try to fight me with her words. And Apostle D looked at her and said, the boy was a hand-to-hand combat instructor in the Marine Corps. What thought process would ever make you want to provoke that side of that man that what if it was one of the times? He just let self-control go out the window. I want you to think about this. But inside of that, you know where my fault comes from? 
not treating her tender, treating her like she was a Marine. Do you need to do what I said? She's not private schmuckatelli. She's my wife. But I was trying, back in the day I was, I was trying to tell her what to do and how to live a godly life and you're going to be a Nazarite and you're going to be for revival. It just doesn't work. Look at me, it doesn't work. Just stop. It, don't, it just makes things worse. It doesn't work, okay? Tenderness, viewing them as feminine partners. But this is where culture, 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 culture don't want you to be feminine. And culture don't want me to be masculine. Culture doesn't want you to be feminine. Culture don't want your daughters to be feminine. Culture don't want your sons to be masculine either. That's why there has to be a buy-in in this house on how we live and how we're being taught, okay? Feminine partners, watch this. They haven't done anything. What are you talking about? They've not done anything. Isn't this what we do, men? Isn't this what we do? View them as feminine partners who deserve to be honored. Man, that sounds like it's old-fashioned 1940, doesn't it? Hold the door open. Walk on the inside part of the curb. Remember the stuff that you were taught, Johnny, as a boy? Ed? Ed, do you remember how your dad treated your mom? And every woman in here loves the notebook. But why was the notebook the notebook? Because men like his daddy existed. And we let the culture, his daddy was taught what book? This one. This is why we looked at the fairy tale of Ed's mom and dad. And we got to be there in the final touches because in the final touches, we got connected with the Heaver family so that we could have a moment like this. And every hair in my body sticking up because this is supposed to be our legacy. That one lives to be 90-something and the other one lives to be 100-something. And Ed could probably hear the story that I read today that I thank God that she went first. That's the kind of men that, that's what Peter's writing about. Such a high degree of honor for your wife. Such a high degree of honor. And I don't even hit it, man, but I'm learning. But you know who I, you know who I get around and I see them act like that? You know, who I, you know who I see act like that, Ed? Do you know who I see act like he's in 1940? Every time I see him around his wife, I get convicted. You know who I'm talking about too, don't you? You know exactly who I'm talking about. Every time I see Damon around Tammy, he treats her. Every time I see Apostle Aaron around Miss Robbie, and they said it's exactly how Nolan Ball treated Miss Shirley. And you don't want to buy into this? You don't want to buy into this? It's a different look on those women's faces, man. There's a different look on those women's faces. Maybe we should go back to some of that. Just get in Google and start. What happens when the gentleman inside of you gets resurrected? But you know, it was also about those men of the 1950s, 1940s, and 1960s. They treated their wives like gold. But brother, you ever crossed them, they were a man. And their handshakes meant something. 
and their word meant something and their work ethic meant something and their character and loyalty and being on time meant something. For they are your co-heirs. They're co-heirs with you of the divine grace and life so that nothing will be hindered. So nothing will hinder your prayers. This is what Tina talked about the other day. Men, when we don't look at our wives correctly and there's constant tension, our prayers become hindered. I'm going to read two more verses and we're going to go home. Now, this is the goal to live in harmony with one another and demonstrate affectionate love and sympathy and kindness towards other believers. Do you realize that when your house is jacked up, this is why you can't connect to other people in the body of Christ? That for you that are sitting at home going, man, I wish I could just get connected, get home right, and you will. It's right here. It's right here. How can we demonstrate? This is the perversion I grew up in. This is the perversion I grew up in. Now this is the goal, to live in harmony with one another and demonstrate affectionate love, sympathy, kindness towards other believers. You treat other people good and you treat your spouse like garbage. It's super quiet. It's super quiet. It's super quiet. We've seen it in people in this room. We've seen you treat family members. We've seen you treat other people that you've either dated, was married to. How, and we're, me, we're sitting here looking at each other like. Something's off. And you know what we've not done? Brought it to you. We just pray about it. We just, it's crazy how you go to over the top for other people, and you're supposed to, but it's actually just a mask of who you really are. This has to change in the American church. We have got, if we're going to see a love revolution, let it start here, and then let it trickle from our houses. I mean, I could be John the Baptist and just tell you how flat out bad and complacent and all, remember how I preached before? Remember how I used to preach? Rough, rough, rough. Now I'm giving you keys. I'm giving you keys, man. I'm giving you keys. And if I'm bringing light into an area that I talked about tonight, and you're like, that, that's us, then you heard truth. And truth will be exposed, John 3, 16, and you'll step into everlasting life inside of your homes. And you actually start enjoying your house. You'll actually start enjoying your spouse. You'll actually start enjoying this church. You'll actually start enjoying this city. You'll actually start enjoying everything. Okay, one last thing here. Because I think he goes into other believers, then he goes right back into spouses. Let humility describe who you are as you dearly love one another. Never retaliate when someone treats you wrongly nor insult those who insult you, but instead respond by speaking a blessing over them because a blessing is what God promised to give you. And then I'm I'm just going to leave it at that. Your promised blessings. Don't rob yourself anymore. Don't rob yourself anymore. Stop enabling. Be the, in somebody's story. Start with your spouse. And then from there, change the world you live in. 
So, Father, I ask that you give us grace to put scorecards down in this room. That God not only stop scoring our spouses, but Father, let us stop judging ourselves and our spouses off of other people and other marriages. Because God, you have something special just for every home here. God, you see these homes. And today we put down our sword and our shields. Some of you in the room, just quietly in in your inner world, Father, forgive me for how I've treated my spouse. Because, Father, I want to be healed in my heart. And I want to live a life full of hope, full of dreams. Because your dreams are connected to people in this room, but your dreams are more connected to the one that you said I do too. My dreams are more connected to Tina Lovejoy than anybody else in this room. God, let me be devoted to my spouse. God, teach us to communicate to one another. God, let our money reach so far that we would never even dream of the lives that our money could touch. From our house to the north gate. Father, Take us into a deeper place of intimacy. Teach us patience and kindness with one another. Come on, let somebody pray that prayer. God, teach me patience. I don't want to be ugly. I don't want to be mean. Come on, start saying, say it to Ishmael. I don't, I'm not going to be mean anymore. I'm not going to be ugly when it comes to my spouse. I'm going to be present. Father, I want to see them the way you see them. Teach me to honor in all that I do. And God, you order the footsteps of a righteous man. So allow righteousness to pierce our hearts. That we're good enough to have the most amazing marriage that everybody in here dreams of. Everybody in here dreams of a marriage, of a house, of a family. God, I speak all of this in peace and rest in Jesus' name. And God, I decree that we will pray together. More importantly, that he encourages me and I encourage him. I decree over you that you will have devotion time in your home. Not heavy or a deep Bible study. Just times of sharing together the things that the Father has put in my heart, what he's doing in me and what he's doing all around us. I decree over every marriage in this room that you will kiss at least one time a day. Look into each other's eyes and say, I love you. I decree over every marriage in this room in the name of Jesus that you will comfort one another when in hard times and when bad things come. It tells us that we are one and we are there for each other. I decree that you will hug each other every day 
and comfort one another. Let one another know when the other was missed. Let their touch mean something. Let our nearness mean something. Let the other one know I long to be with you. I decree over every family at the north gate, there is tenderness. I speak spontaneous and random affection, showing a gladness that you are my spouse. I declare fun and laughter and games and joking around and an abundance of joy in your house as the father of this house. I declare you will spend time together and not regret it. I declare spontaneity and surprises. I declare occasional gifts that come from the heart. Flowers, candy, soft drinks, whatever is their favorite. Simple little things that cost almost nothing but say a whole lot of what you mean to me. Cleaning off the snow of my car, warming up my car in the winter, wiping off the mud from my car. Bringing in the groceries, opening the door. May you sleep together and hold each other tight. May you go to bed together at the same time when possible and schedules allow and hold each other. May we make time to stare into each other's eyes and simply just be in bed together. I declare over every home in this house as apostolic authority in this house that you will trust one another and respect one another. We are not going to anymore have accusations of cheating, of wandering. We give and get trust and respect from one another. I declare over you, you will be vulnerable and transparent with one another in the name of Jesus. Your marriage is a God-honoring marriage and it's right on time and it's right where it's supposed to be. From the words of our apostle, your marriage, I need you to believe this in your heart right now, your marriage is right on time and it's right where it's supposed to be. It is a legacy of kindness and affection, honor and esteem and light for other marriages. Our marriage is a kingdom marriage and it is a marriage built on intimacy, devotion, honor, order, communication, and trust. And I pray when you leave here tonight, Northgate, that marriages in this room can sit down and talk and open up your heart to one another. And let the love of Jesus in. In Yeshua's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Northgate. If you would like to donate to this ministry, please go to www.thenorthgateoh.com and click on the link at the bottom of the homepage.